Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 83 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. DR Colon. And I'm, oh, I'm David. DR Colon. And this is the show, DR, for two years to talk about Stargate. And today we're talking about Stargate Atlantis Season 4, one of my very favorite years of the show. This is our last in a long series of Stargate history podcasts. We went all the way back to the beginning to Stargate the Motion Picture, talked about each individual season of SG-1, 1 through 10, and all of Atlantis. We've already done Atlantis Season 5 last year, and uh, we did the movies, Arc of Truth, and Continuum, and after tonight we're done. After tonight, we're done. We started the podcast talking about Season 5, so we're not going to um, do a history of Season 5 because the first 20 or so episodes are devoted to uh, to those, to that, to these. So no need to go back. So this is the it's, end of the line, end of line. It's been fun for sure, and we have some ideas of what we are going to do uh, next time we have a, a stretch during the summertime of uh, ideas to come up with for new podcasts. But uh, in the meantime, we are ready to head in next week to new episodes of Stargate Universe. We're going to be talking week by week as they are aired, starting with space next week. Mm -hmm. But before we get back to SGU, there's one last hurrah for Atlantis. Let's talk about season four. The main discussion. And as always, if you happen to be sitting in front of a computer while you're listening to this podcast... Open up a browser and point it over at gateworld.net slash Atlantis slash S4, and you can follow along with the episode guide. So, what was your favorite episode of this season? Holy smokes, my favorite episode for this season. You know, there are some close calls in this year. There are some really close calls, but I'm going to have to say Be All My Sins Remembered is my favorite show for this season, and I think you would probably agree with that. For sure, for sure. Be All My Sins Remembered just had it all. Glorious special effects, a culmination of numerous story arcs, very significant story arcs, the destruction of a fantastic bad guy, great guest stars, and a, I think the only jaw-dropping moment that I've ever had for Atlantis, period, was, what was that? the reveal at the end of that Dr. Weir had survived, oh, a yeah. version of her. Now, some, we, some Weir at the... At the... In the captain's chair of a replicator warship. Yeah, a weir, and that she may be responsible for something you you don't know at this point, and that's how they end the episode. You know, sci-fi, those of us lucky enough to get sci-fi, uh, we're lucky enough to have the <laughs> ending to... Uh, Rub it in. The, en- the ending to the Kindred Part 1 uh, spoiled for us. Oh, yeah, well, we'll talk about that. But Be All My Sins Remembered was not spoiled for us at all, and it just has it all. Beyond My Sins is absolutely a high watermark for Stargate Atlantis for a great show. I would put it up there in the top two or three of the entire series with uh, The Shrine in Season 5 and probably Midway. I'll talk about Midway in a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, this was the culmination of this massive, massive arc. And so we, uh, Stargate fans, we love payoff. And it, we should mention the fact that one of the things that the writers decided to do going into Season 4 was to do a bit of a longer story arc to take this this uh, Wraith replicator war and and our, the part that, that our characters have to play in it and drag it out over the course of the whole first half of the season. And this was the giant, giant payoff episode for all of that investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, really starting, I guess, with First Strike at the end of season three. Yes, that's right. And it carried over 
all the way to Be All My Sins. And it's not just about the action and the adventure, but, you know, they, they take a moment to cover those those emotional, um, moral beats as well. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that this episode works so well. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why you and I love Fran so much as a character. Yes. And Michelle Morgan, the actress who yes. plays her so well. That's right. Because they took a they took a moment when they were on route to this mission where Fran was this uh, friendly replicator android created by Rodney using ancient technology. She was basically sacrificing her life for, for whatever it was. This was the reason she had been created was to destroy the replicators. And they took a moment to have that reflection on board the Daedalus on the way to the replicator homeworld. It was. I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I wish that that had been uh, – that we'd gotten a two-parter where an entire episode had basically been focused on Fran and that moral dilemma. And then part two was her actually going through with mm-hmm. it. Uh, but, but still, this is just a, a terrific episode, one of the very best. Season four is different in, in the fact that we get this story arc for the first half of the season at least. There are also longer story arcs going on with Taylor's pregnancy and with the disappearance of the Athosians that lasts for most of the season. But uh, we should say there are other things going on behind the scenes that are also different in Season 4. Season 4 is kind of the, the, the shifting point for Atlantis. 1 through 3 is kind of self-contained for me because of Weir, because of Beckett. Mm-hmm. Both of those characters are gone now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in terms of on the screen, we have uh, Samantha Carter is brought in to be the head of the base. And Jennifer Keller is now the chief medical officer, mm-hmm. brings, a, brings a different tone, different characters to work with, different relationships with the, the more long-term established SGA team members. And then behind the scenes, you've got the fact that, that Brad and Rob, who created the show and had shepherded it up to this point, stepped aside. And Joe Malazzi and Paul Mully got to step in and be showrunners for the last two years of the series. The ISA, those guys did a great job. The last two years of the series, as much as I love... I, I guess I would call it classic Atlantis and, and, and Weir and Beckett. Seasons four and five are, are just have some of my favorite stuff in them. The show, in my opinion, goes darker. I think both stylistic yeah, visually as well as because um, they're in space <laughs> for a little bit of it. But I think visually as, as well as like the stories that they want to tell and the atmosphere that the stakes are the stakes are raised. You know, the uniforms were updated. Lots of little tweaks to to make the show just feel more serious. I think it uh, paid off in spades. My least favorite is um, I think it's got to be quarantine. And really, again, this is kind of a middle of the road episode. I don't dislike it really, um, but I'm looking at I'm the I'm the tragic person responsible for assigning Gate World's four star ratings. <laughs> and uh, I definitely rated this one the lowest. Um, part of it is is because I guess the Katie Brown character and her relationship with Rodney mm-hmm. had, had sort of grown tired for me by this point in the show. Uh, I was glad that they got rid of her after this episode. But, um, you know, panicked, whiny Rodney uh, uh, locked in a room with her. I didn't, I didn't care for... There's some cool stuff with Shepard climbing the tower. Being all hero. Yeah, being the hero. And... Um, you know, Zelenka getting to, to be a bit of a hero, climbing through the ventilation shaft. Um, first, he gets stuck in a closet with Samantha Carter. I guess, you know, Quarantine followed the mid-season two-parter, which was a uh, big budget. So you've got to have these smaller bottle episodes that are just about our characters and our standing sets. And Quarantine was about being stuck in Atlantis and having conversations in small rooms. It wasn't one of my favorites. 
I enjoyed the show definitely more than you did. I think that quarantine gives a chance to explore some relationships that had been established and some that had not been established. I mean, you get a Zelenka Carter dynamic, which she slams him later on in the Yeah, in that's the so bizarre. Um, it's just sort of the, the sense that Zelenka's kind of a little pervy toward her. I didn't like that. Ronan and Keller, that, that relationship spark... Uh, that is very key to the to the the kind of triangle that continues on through the rest of the series initiates in That's this right. episode I believe I believe right. there's a lot of little stuff that happens in this episode that I really enjoy but having said that um, my least uh, favorite episode of the season I was going to say reunion but uh, I think I'm going to have to go with Outcast I've seen that episode mm. one time I appreciate learning about Shepard's backstory finding out that yep, he was kind is... of a spoiled little rich boy um, Shepard back on Earth. Shepherd back on Earth, and we find out that there's a replicator loose on Earth, and then uh, we find out that there's another replicator which uh, is trying to help them. Did anyone else spot that from the very beginning? Because I, mean, I knew right away that Ava was a replicator. That she was a replicator. Yeah, yeah, that was. I didn't know, but I assumed right away that she was a replicator as well. Yeah, I think I figured it out maybe halfway through, but I didn't see it. I didn't see it at the beginning. I just didn't care for the characters. I've, Dr. Poole, Ava, you know, this replicator, I found them to be uninteresting. Uh, the visual effect at the end was was fun uh, with with them beaming him into the atmosphere and then, and then burning up. I just found it a little implausible. Uh, it didn't do it for me, man. There's some fun stuff in this. Fans have been clamoring for years to, to get to know Shepard's backstory in particular. Yeah. All the characters, but Shepard in particular, you know, who is this guy? Where did he come from? So we mm-hmm. find out that he's sort of a... Uh, Richie Rich, and that he's he's uh, had a strange relationships with his father, who's now passed away, mm-hmm. and his brother. And uh, you know, he comes home, and his brother's afraid that he's basically come to claim his inheritance. And Shepard says, "You know, don't worry, I don't want anything of it." We find out that he was married. No, we knew that he was married for a year now. We knew that he was married. That's right. From we, Sunday, we met. We meet his wife, yeah. um, Nancy, played by the very beautiful Carrie Wurr from Sliders, and I loved her in Sliders. As really, Maggie. she was in Sliders. Yeah, yeah, great character. Ah, okay. Reminded me a lot of uh, Laren, the Traveler. Hmm. That's an interesting comparison. Now, that's actually mm-hmm. really interesting. I, and I almost wonder if they did the hair and makeup similar so that when you go, went back and watched Travelers, if you would maybe see that, oh, Laren kind of looks like his ex-wife, doesn't mm-hmm. she? Yeah, the, the Ava Dixon character was kind of flat, but I thought that what they did with her in the end was was kind of a sweet thing. They basically take her replicate her consciousness and, and give her a virtual reality in mm-hmm. which to live out life. Um, I like that that ending. And I like seeing Ronan go back to Earth with John and, uh, you know, be the big burly guy trying to fit in. He's not quite as awkward at it as Teal'c, but uh, it's still fun. Anytime that we get to see Ronan out of his element, I think it's interesting. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning, and we pick up right where we left off with the Season 3 finale, First Strike. Atlantis has left the surface of Lantia, in order to escape from the replicator attack. Elizabeth Weir has been mortally wounded and is in surgery, and Atlantis is adrift. That's the episode. It's adrift. Uh, The city is floating in space with its shield on, and we don't know where it's going. Yeah, she dropped out of the hyperspace gate a little too soon uh, and is just floating free in space. Uh, It's uh, a visual effects extravaganza, numerous puddle jumpers... Uh, this is the only time that we see the fleet, the Puddle Jumper fleet in action, uh, blowing yeah. away asteroids. It's one of those episodes that we've got a ticking clock, and uh, we've got to go uh, and steal some hardware in order to survive. It was a nice way to start out the season because it felt so Stargate-y. It was, it was 
uh, you know, 21st century humans from the planet Earth, us here and now, in the middle of this advanced city with all this advanced technology, flying this giant city ship through outer space with a shield, but we we got real tangible problems that we have to to mm-hmm. come up with clever ways of solving. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the the shield is not sufficient to protect us from this this. Uh, Asteroid field. Mm-mm. You know, we've got to come up with a plan and, and take the jumpers out and basically play asteroids, blowing all these things up <laughs> in order to clear a path for the city to pass through it. Uh, just, you know, fun little problems like that. We've got to go outside and fix something with uh, Shepard and Zelenka and just just uh, lots of cool little beats like that. So it was sort of a problem comes up. We've got to quickly hurry and come up with a solution. We fix it. And then another problem comes up. And by the end, McKay's thinking, come on. And then that spins into the next episode. This is kind of a two-parter with Lifeline. The great ZPM heist. We're going to go to Asuras and poke the bear. Yeah, we've been running away from these replicators, and now we're going to go where they live with uh, the cloak on and try and sneak in and steal a ZPM. Uh, Such a great setup for Lifeline, which is also probably in my my top five, maybe Mm -hmm. top, definitely top ten, maybe top five for the series, because it's a, a... beautiful swan song for Weir. Um, it's not as fantastic as, as it could be in, in terms of swan songs, in terms of like like Beckett and Sunday. But uh, she gets to be a hero, uh-huh. and she gets to go out and be part of the mission, and she gets basically to have superpowers. Uh, she now has the ability to, to tap into the replicator internet and freeze them and, and learn their dirty little secrets and, and direct the team. And she eventually saves them, saves the whole city by helping them get away with the ZPM. Yeah, and Progeny, in a, basically a dream sequence, we got to see what how things played out for Shepard. And in mm-hmm. this one, we see that Oberoth gets manipulated. The leader of the of the Surin Replicators gets duped by Elizabeth. Yeah, she takes it to him. That's great. That's great. I love Lifeline. This, is, this was an episode where I just, every moment of it, once they left for Asuras, I did not know what was going to happen. I did not know what was lurking around the next corner. I mean, we knew that Tori Higginson was being written off the show at this point. Um, we didn't know how so, they were going to do it. Didn't know how they were going to do it. Didn't know if she was going to make it out of this mission alive or not. And there's a question left at the end. She is standing in the hallway, unable to control Oberoth and the replicators anymore, and tells her friends to go. Uh, mm-hmm. She orders them to leave her behind, which is a very un-Earth thing to do, a very un-SGC thing to do, mm-hmm. to leave your people behind. But she orders them to do it to save the city. Mm-hmm. And they save the city, and Shepard is committed throughout the next ten episodes, eight episodes, he's committed to rescue Elizabeth. Carter reaches Atlantis. We park Atlantis on a new planet. Pretty cool visual effect. Carter is not given command of Atlantis just yet. But eventually she will be. Hey, Gate World. Daniel from Atlanta here again. I wanted to sidestep your listener question a little bit and speak generally about Sam's position in Atlantis for Season 4. To discuss this, I need to take a moment to speak about Weir. I absolutely loved the twist in making her part replicator, but then writing her off the show completely became a mistake. It would have been very interesting to still have her around, but with a we're not sure if we can trust her vibe the whole time. Use some quick excuse about Earth not being willing to trust her at home, and boom, we have her around Atlantis all season. But instead, we got rid of her quickly and were left with Carter, who did almost nothing all season. Before season four, I had read a post somewhere that said Carter was coming with her own ship, which I took to mean that she was taking on the Caldwell role in the show. I really wish they had gone that route so we wouldn't have had to go without Tori for the rest of the season, and so Carter would have actually had something to do 
instead of sit behind desk and read Weir's lines the whole season. Reunion. This is the first of what is effectively, I think, a two-parter with mm-hmm. season five's Broken Ties. Mm-hmm. This introduces us to Tyre and Ronan's uh, buddies from Satita. This was his posse. They served in the Satita military together. They they kicked some wraith tail, mm-hmm. and then uh, Satita got blown up and, and destroyed by the wraith, and he thought these guys were dead. He thought they were lost. And he finds them, and they're alive, and they're his friends, and it's it's, it's a great little reunion scene where, where we get to see it uh, more tender side of Ronan and you get to see Ronan be all smiley for a while but the other shoe drops I've never been a big Ronan fan and in order to really really enjoy this episode you have to be a Ronan fan I think and I just didn't care the Wraith worshipper angle was never really worked on very well after I think uh, the Hive and now we find out that uh, his group has become a group of wraith worshippers, and it's just like, okay, you know, that's that's fine. Can we move on now? And that's how I really felt about this episode. It didn't really mm-hmm. do much for me. And then broken ties. That well, well, we actually we won't be talking about that one. But I was going to say We've we'll talk about, about that one next time. It, when it aired, I mean, I was um, at my boss's during Comic Con, and it's the second part to this and the DVR actually killed it in the middle. Something happened with the DVR and, and we got about 20 minutes into it and I couldn't have cared less. Uh, I mean, I, it was a while before I got back to watching the episode because I just didn't care about the story. And if you don't mm-hmm. care about the story, then what's the point? There are elements of it that I, that I certainly like. Um, for me, those Ronin episodes, Ronin had some killer episodes like Satita, which we did indeed about. with reunion and broken ties. Um, I like the fact that we are exploring his character specifically, but uh, there's kind of a question as to whether Ronan... I don't know. I guess I watch these Ronan episodes, and it, it kind of reminds me of the way that I watched Klingon episodes on mm. Next Generation. In terms of the show's mythology, I like the Wraith Worshipper angle. And I really wish that they had done more with that after The Hive. This is where they deal with that angle. Reunion and Broken Ties. They deal with uh, humans living in the Pegasus galaxy who worship the Wraith as basically gods. And what Reunion establishes is... At least nine times out of ten, that the reason that these people seem to be worshipping the Wraith is because they've been tortured and brainwashed into it. This is a cool, cool sequence and a cool, cool idea. A Wraith drains all of your life out of you and then gives it all back. And then drains it all out again and then puts it all back again and again and again. This is just such a torturing process that it breaks you physically, mm-hmm. psychologically, emotionally. That was an interesting idea from this episode. And the fight scene, man, the fight scene that's that's uh, choreographed by by James Bamford is so cool. And Jason does uh, so much fun stuff with it. I love this fight scene. Uh, not being a big action fan, I love this fight scene. What about Doppelganger? Doppelganger, I like. Doppelganger is a cool, sci-fi what a cool show concept. Um, I think this was a Rob Cooper special, wasn't it? Was. It was. He wrote and directed it. It's probably my favorite written and directed by Rob, perhaps. Yeah. Rob um, is reaching way back into Stargate mythology. I think what's interesting here is he's reaching into himself as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of his own sort of history and psychology in this, as he as he told us in our interview before Doppelganger aired. Uh, his dealing with fears and uh, I think having gone to see Jaws as a mm-hmm. little kid. He reaches back into a long time ago SG-1 history to get this crystal entity that, that Jack O'Neill found one once and basically got duplicated. There's a duplicate Jack walking around on Earth in, in Cold Lazarus 
trying to figure out what what makes Jack hurt. How can he make him better? Well, Rob's idea for this was, what if we met a, a crystalline psychotic. entity like that, who was psychotic, who was basically you know the the uh, equivalent of being in prison for, as a serial killer, and let's let's have a a duplicate shepherd here. It would have been interesting if there would would have actually been a duplicate shepherd walking mm-hmm. around Atlanta. It's just in their nightmares. Yeah, it turns all psychological. So he's he's in their heads. He's in their nightmares. Freddy Krueger. I like the 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 dreams that are explored in this. The, the falling sequence. Uh, the only one that was unsatisfying to me was the buried alive one. I thought that grave was way too shallow to be scary. Uh-huh. Um, if that had been a six foot grave, that would have been very very creepy. But he's just like a couple of feet down, and it's like, well, you know. Um, but everything else worked really well. I could not believe that the uh, the bursting iritis bug out of the chest. Even for Cable, I could not believe that they allowed that. That blew my mind. I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, we're actually seeing this. Well, there's all kinds of new levels of gross to it when you find out later that Taylor's pregnant. Yeah. Which we yeah. didn't know at this point. There's a good run of episodes here in the early part of the season. Uh, Travelers, I like a lot. I like a lot more than I've, I've, uh, I did it justice when I first saw it. It's, it's atypical in that it's a Shepard episode, and it's, it's only a Shepard. It's Shepard and the guest star, Laren, played by Jill Wagner. Uh, so Shepard gets cut off from the team and, and captured by the Travelers, this nomadic group of people who have some advanced technology, only because they've stayed away from the Wraith by not settling on a planet. They live in space. The rest of the team's pretty much not in this. They get Lauren and get a puddle jumper and eventually come come and find him. But for the most part, it's Shepard and Laren on this. Uh, the Travelers have found an ancient warship that they want his help getting up and running. And then eventually the Wraith find them. So they have to deal with the Wraith running around on their ship. This is a fun one because it's it's uh, it's not the typical Atlantis episode. As, as we talked about recently, there's the Wraith sucking all the life out of her and then Shepard holding him at gunpoint and forcing him to put it all back. Interesting stuff. Shows off the weakness of the Wraith as a foe now where you could just hold him at gunpoint and make them give it all back. Yeah, I think that's true. But even cooler than Travelers, I think, is Tabula Rasa. Visually, in the way this is shot especially, this is kind of high-concept Atlantis. The, the teaser for this is probably, ah, this may be the best teaser Atlantis ever did, didn't it? It's the, definitely the up there pans down this dark nighttime creepy creepy atmosphere creepy music pans down and you see rodney strapped to a chair has no idea who he is or what's going on Mm -hmm. uh he's got words and symbols written in ink on his arm and a tablet in front of him with a recording of himself Mm -hmm. saying i know you don't understand what's going on but this is taylor you have to find her Mm -hmm. there's a knife under your chair cut yourself free and go Mm-hmm. So he has amnesia. Everybody on the base has amnesia. What a cool teaser. What a cool concept for an episode. It was one of the neater ideas that uh, Atlantis did. Uh, I think it's very successful in that regard. I, I have to be honest, I don't remember that much about it. Except that Lorne and the, the, the military was divided with the uh, the civilians. Everybody gets amnesia because there is a, a virus that they've been exposed to that uh, Taylor and Ronan don't get amnesia because this is something that's, that's pretty common in the Pegasus galaxy, ah. so they sort of have these, these natural antibodies. Uh, it, it affects the people in Atlantis, and it's not screened out by the, by the city's automated uh, quarantine protocols. It doesn't catch it because this is something that's common in the Pegasus galaxy, and it's mm-hmm. like chickenpox. It's just not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But uh, when, when our people from Earth get it, it, it uh, causes amnesia. Causes problems. And you know, death within twenty four hours. Basically, this is one of my one of my favorites of this season. Missing. 
Somebody has taken Taylor's people. Somebody has taken Taylor's people. Keller begins to shine a little bit as a character, or lack of shine, as I'm sure some some fans would uh, would put it. I think it's a, it's a good dynamic. You have an experienced uh, woman warrior uh, tromping her way through the through the uh, Vancouver woods who has to babysit uh, this uh, young medical officer who has never been in a situation like this before, is really inexperienced in this kind of situation, not very good mm-hmm. inf- infantry woman at all, and uh, uh, she has to discover a little bit about herself. And that's followed up in Tracker in Season 5 a bit. Um, but in, in this one, she has to deal with, you know... Yeah, by uh, then she's become much more competent. So Keller had become a, a regular character in Season 4. She'd just been introduced in a couple of scenes at the end of Season 3. Uh, now she's a, a recurring character. Uh, she's a regular in Season 5. But So we're getting to know this character. And Carl Binder writes this episode that's it's largely a getting-to-know-you Jennifer Keller episode in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. And so... A lot of fans at this point were starting to say, well, you know what? She's out of her element. Uh, she's whiny. She's scared. And uh, I don't really like her as character. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's kind of the point in Missing is exactly what you said. She is the inexperienced one paired with Taylor, And she's in this terrifying circumstance where not only do you have to eat the jelly squid at night because you have nothing else, but you have the Bolokai, these super psycho warrior cannibals chasing you down wanting to eat you that's pretty freaky yep the seer what did you think of this one uh it was good it was entertaining we see little flashes things that are about to happen in this episode i i kind of get the uh the prophecy vibe from this episode this is atlantis's take on sg1's prophecy mm-hmm. and we get jonas. one jonas where jonas got uh uh, with the help of Nearty, saw the future. And with this one, we get a, a terrifying scene where we, we see Atlantis um, foundering uh, due to the replicators. We learn that Davos is never wrong. What we see will come to pass. It's just a matter of, uh, of when. So it's kind of it's spooky. And I didn't expect yeah. that, uh, that to be answered so quickly um, two episodes later. But... You know, this is uh, this is a cool this is a cool episode. It's it's uh, unsettling, isn't it? What he does, and it's unsettling for for Rodney and for Sam in particular, who are very uh, science minded, and so Rodney is surprised that this guy is basically able to to predict the future and to show other people his visions by by giving them a handshake, uh, and so he starts coming up with these theories of well, okay, so um, he's probably has enough insight that he can guess really well. Uh, you know, if you, you narrow down the possibilities that he's trying to come up with an explanation for this effectively supernatural ability. And Davos says he's never been wrong and this stuff will come to pass. Miller's crossing. Kate Hewlett comes back and, and so does Jeannie Miller. Yeah. And Miller's crossing. I, um, I loved McKay and Mrs. Miller, and I was expecting a similar quality with this one, and I didn't exactly get it, so I was left kind of disappointed. Um, mm. We do have a great guest star in the form of Stephen Culp, uh, who plays uh, Henry Wallace. Uh, I remember him as Major Hayes on Enterprise. His, his daughter's life's in danger, and he recruits Rodney and Jeannie to fix the problem. Um back on earth genie gets stolen just so that they can mainly capture rodney but with their combined brain power hopefully they can fix it uh, brendan gall returns and so does the munchkin uh to play caleb and madison 
Shepard basically coerces this dude into giving up his life force so that Todd the Wraith can uh, come up with a cure. And something that we didn't talk about in the Seer is this is when Todd comes calling. We haven't seen him since uh, the character was first introduced in Season three's Common Ground. Um, Todd comes and, and uh, enters the story and becomes a prisoner, and we're working with him to attempt to reactivate the replicator's... Uh, do not I guess I guess deactivate the replicators attack initiative attack program against the raid. Yep. So this is the beginning of Todd, who of course goes on and on and on. He becomes a major ally slash adversary for the rest of the series. It's disturbing, you know. It's just disturbing. He's our prisoner. He needs to eat. We've got this problem. At the same time, we've got this guy who's done something that we don't like, and you know, talk about. Talk about a character going to a dark place, mm-hmm. which we did last week on our anti-heroes podcast. Um, Shepard convinces this guy that in order to atone for his crimes, he needs to go and let Todd feed on him, and he does it, and it's Forfeits his really life. disturbing. This Mortal Coil was a fantastic episode, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Our team is not our team. It's kind of uh, a, a cool twist. We're following them. And we find out that they are replicator copies. And they don't even know that they're replicator copies. They're a new breed of replicators who are basically not made of nanites. I mean, they have, I think they have nanite cells in their body, but they're more flesh and blood based. Yeah, the replicators use nanites to create human bodies, flesh and blood bodies, because they are studying ascension. And they yeah. think that the missing component of ascension is the human component, human soul, which can't mm-hmm. be created by a machine. Uh, but still, they think they can create a human body. And they leave replicator nanites inside of them to quickly heal their injuries. Neum's group is one of the more fascinating elements, I think, of the, of the replicators that we only got a taste of. You know, with his uh, straight-haired brunettes and Neum, of course, uh, in uh, progeny, and we see an entire Atlantis team full of of these of these replicators, and they've gone off and built a city and are trying to discover ascension. They think that uh, the Gaining perfection means following in their creator's footsteps by ascending. Jennifer Keller, who is basically the leader of this group, has to trust this team and Weir. Weir is back again uh, to fulfill this. Yeah, I rewatched this one this week, and I, I was surprised at how much of a talkie it is. It's very talky. It's really, very talky. It's the characters going from room to room, having different conversations. Um, there's an action beat at the end where the replicators find us and attack, and and uh, are are. Duplicates have to have to uh, lead them off on a chase and get their puddle jumper blowed up, mm-hmm. so that our team can escape through the Stargate. But um, for the most part, it's talking, and I, I like the episode a lot. The the concept again, the, the high science fiction concept is uh, is a lot of fun to see here, uh, and it's episodes like this Mortal Coil, which are high concept sci-fi, and um, are also uh, have a lot of dramatic beats for our characters. It's kind of a, a little mini-character drama. I kind of mm-hmm. wish that SGU would start to do this kind of a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's it's not just characters talking and and drama between the characters, but it's, it's based on a high-concept science fiction premise. Davos' prophecy comes true, where this version of Atlantis uh, crumbles. And we go and find our counterparts, uh, the, the real uh, Atlantis counterparts, and uh, hand over this replicator tracking device, which the Keller replicator has given them. And we find out just how many replicator starships are out there. It's quite a number. Yep. 
dozens and, and dozens of Aurora class warships out there. And that's basically the cliffhanger for the season. It's not a to be continued, and then Be All My Sins Remembered aired uh, the following year. Fortunately, at this mid-season break, there was not nearly the wait that we usually have to go through. Like, right now, we're coming up on the end of a four-month break in the middle of the season, and um, Atlanta's season four uh, started in the fall, so then mm-hmm. they basically had like a three-week Christmas break before Be All My Sins. But... Um, I, this Mortal Coil is a great episode. It's really an outstanding episode. I think it could have been better. I think if we had known more of Neam's people, maybe even had Neam himself mm-hmm. not not get uh, re-replicated and, and then written off um, last year, if Neam himself had been in this, yeah. uh, I, I, think I think it would have been, been stronger, stronger. too. Um, because Keller, I mean, her character is used well. You know, the fact that Lorne and Keller are, are part of a select group of, you know, they really are replicators. It's used well, but I think it could have been it could have been more interesting if there had been a more explicit tie to Neom and remembering that character and, and what, what he was all about. Spoils of War. This is a, a pickup to Be All My Sins Remembered. We kind of get the Wraith side of uh, what happened in this episode a reuse of, of a number of uh, great visual effects which you know it gives more bang for their buck if it's if it's seen in numerous episodes and yep. uh show the big explosion of asurus again yeah not a problem this is what the wraith were up to at the end of that war todd sent some of his his cronies in to steal zpms and this asurus. is payoff at the end of the series as well yeah that's true uh, so, Spoils of War is um, yeah, it's kind of the the postscript to the to the big war. We find out that Todd has basically taken these ZPMs and he's got a queen in this lab and he's he's trying to create lots and lots of Wraith soldiers. But his number two is turned on him, I think, and uh, so he's now lost control of this of this mm. lab. Lots of running around in Wraith corridors. The interesting thing about this episode, I think, is what they do with the queen. Uh, Andy Frizzell shows up in this. She's sort of stuck in this chair, hooked up to all these tubes, basically, you know, feeding out her genetic material as they as they uh, breed tons and tons and tons of wraith warriors. But uh, we get to see we get to see these soldiers being quote unquote born. Yeah, and they see what Earth, they they look just, like under the mask. Yeah, gross and disgusting. The way we kind of cut this guy out of the wall and and stick a mask on him and put him to work. Yeah, yeah. Finally got to see that. That was cool. Harmony is another one that is lower on my list because we have the precocious child, uh, Rodney and Shepard, in the woods trying to protect this would-be queen of a planet, um, played She's... by actress Jodell Furland, who's terrific. Yeah. She's terrific. She was one of the young Adrias in uh, Flesh and Blood, the first episode of season 10 of SG-1. And she's terrific. And the character is is uh, uh, precocious. So, you know, put Rodney and John together with a precocious child who loves John and thinks Rodney is, what, annoying out to what get her? What Rodney is, yeah. Harmony is on her uh, way to becoming queen. She's on a pilgrimage. But there are new rules that say that she cannot be uh, chauffeured by an off-worlder. And uh, her sister, one of her sisters, Mardola, has set up, I've been reading a lot about this episode for PropWorks, has uh, set her up to be killed by the Janai. Because in this society, the mother chooses which of the girls are representative of uh, 
the ideal queen. It has some great moments. You know, the end is fantastic with the with the with the picture. We have the picture at our warehouse. <laughs> it is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some funny stuff in this one. It's it's not one that I'll go back to in my DVD collection real often. Trio is one of those episodes that I think you either love or hate. And that's interesting because I consider it middle of the road. Seems to come down to what you think of of the Keller character and what you think of Carter and her use on Atlantis. Because this is McKay and Carter and Keller stuck in a rusty old Janai chamber under the ground on an alien planet. Janai mining chamber. Trying to come up with a way to get out. This is an episode that went way over budget, was designed to be under budget, and, you know... Is a perfect really? example of yeah yeah I remember Martin Garrow told us about that it was designed hmm. to be under budget and they went way over budget for it um, yeah it's an interesting idea they're trying to get out of this hole and the the mine is collapsing the whole chamber is going down so you know they their arrival has disturbed it and they've got to get out uh, and no one on the surface is going to help them out they've got to get out themselves and it's a really really interesting way of dealing with it. Um, we get to know about these characters a little bit uh, more, um, but with some fun Q and A's to help them pass the time. You know, the, the bar trick with the knives is really cool. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. I like Keller's contribution with the with the knives and teaching them the bar trick, and then they they try and put it into application with the boards in order to reach the hole at the top of the ceiling. And Carter ends up getting injured mm-hmm. trying to climb up there. This one, it, it, it succeeds in, in making me anxious. It succeeds on keeping me at the edge of my seat because I, it's got everything that I, I, I fear. It's got you know heights, and we're in a box that's about to plummet into a cavern, and it's, it's got buried alive. All these things that I hate. Midway, one of your favorite episodes, uh, Carl Binder, Fantastic. I came into this podcast recording planning to say that Midway was my favorite because I had totally forgotten about Be All My Sins because we've talked about it so yeah. much on the podcast. Yeah. Um, Midway is in my top three with Be All My Sins and The Shrine for yeah. all of Atlantis. For all the show. Uh, fantastic episode. It's Tilk's second appearance uh, on Atlantis. The first one was basically a cameo, a one-scene cameo, uh, but he comes to, uh, to help bone up Ronan and prepare him for his IOA uh, uh, interview, which will either allow him to continue to stay on Atlantis or force him out. Uh, it's just got some great beats. The Wraith yeah. finally make it through to Earth. Um, and uh, not in force, but just this one group comes up with a way to uh, um, to break into the a DHD off-world and figure out the codes which get them to Midway and then yeah. get them to The Earth. Midway space station that we built that came online in season three is now a big liability. Uh, it really has it all. Midway blows up in the end. I think they realized that, you know, you couldn't uh, go home on the weekends uh, from Atlantis. <laughs> it just didn't work. Yeah, I liked Midway, though. It was such a cool cool thing for the show uh, and for the mythology. They could have they kept it around another year. They could have done more with it. I was mm-hmm. sad to see it get blown up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, ever since Ronan was introduced at the beginning of Season 2, the big question on all of our minds was, who would win in a fight? <laughs> Ronan Dex or Teal'c? The two big buff alien warriors from both shows. And this is exactly what Midway does. It puts them in a room together, sparring in Atlantis, with everybody around cheering and, and, uh, and uh, you know, putting down bets on who's going to win. And they just take it to each other. They go all out. And Fighting Ronan for an hour. Out. Yeah, Ronan pulls out his Satedon 
magic and, and Teal throws in a few Jaffa moves, and they're just at an absolute stalemate until Carter breaks them up. So there is no winner. But uh, midway moves, basically there's there's sort of three major movements. First we have Teal'c and Atlantis, and, and that, uh, you know, Ronan doesn't think he needs help, so he's he's uh, throwing it in Teal'c's face. Then we go to midway, and the Wraith invasion happens, and these guys got to figure out what to do about the Wraith invasion. Then we move to Earth, and Ronan is running around in the SGC with Teal'c. It's a big episode in 43 minutes. It's very big. There's so much going on here. There's uh, Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh's now been assigned to work on the Midway Station. Uh, ends up basically responsible for blowing it up. <laughs> By, I think, triggering the security protocol or oh, something geez. like that when he shouldn't have. Yeah, Kavanaugh being back was have, great. Have time to turn off. <laughs> That's a lot of work blown away, man. Yeah. The, the IOA uh, rep. I uh, love Ms. this scene. Coolidge. Coolidge. Yeah, he's basically, I mean, this guy's no Richard Woolsey. By now, Richard Woolsey is kind of our ally. He's he's basically said to, you know, recently he appeared in The Seer and said to Sam, um, you know, I'm not going to, the things that make you look bad, I'm, I'm going to leave that out of my report. There's such a thing as being too thorough. Um, he's done the same thing to Weir. He's, he's basically kind of acted like our ally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coolidge is not that guy. Mm-hmm. Coolidge is a, is a, a little pencil-pushing weasel. And we get to the scene about whether or not uh, they're going to let him stay. And uh, they, they ask him one question. And Ronan, you know, who's been preparing for this entire interview throughout the episode, says yes. Coolidge looks at one guy, <laughs> looks at the other, and says, fine with me. It's just a great moment. Because mm-hmm. Ronan has saved their asses at this point. For talking about how much I, uh, we don't necessarily care for Ronan-centric episodes with, with uh, Reunion, this is a Ronan-centric episode. That just works That's on every works. level. Yeah. And it's it's just perfect. Carl did I a fine it. job. I love Carl Binder, man. I love him. I love him, too. So then we head into the end of the season, and it's a, a bit of a three-parter. I guess heading into the season five premiere makes it a four-parter. Yeah. Uh, the Kindred, parts one and two. Long, long-awaited, long, long-expected return of a villain and return of an old friend. This is why I hate spoilers, man. I mean, had we not known that Beckett was going to come back, holy smokes. The folks in, in the U.K. had no idea, and, you know, they just were blown away by it. And then we here in the U.S. just got ripped. That spoiler was a part of their commercial to pull in ratings. And, I mean, it's just it's just a kick in the teeth. The last moment, the last line of dialogue in part one is we walk into the room, the prison cell, and find Beckett. And he says, what took you so long? Yeah. And Sci-Fi Channel used that clip in their teaser for the episode. It was meant to be a jaw-dropper, and people get on GateWorld's case for posting too many spoilers. Come on, Sci-Fi. It was a good episode, though. I mean, we, we Taylor gets captured and uh, uh, gets taken to Michael, and we find out where all the Athosians are. Um, again, it's a race that I didn't think worked really well. I'm kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm kind of like, oh, yeah. okay, I'm glad we found them. You know, let's now let's... Let's get them out of here and move on. No, we haven't. I don't think we've seen them much since, what, Critical Mass? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Might have been the last time we saw them. So, yeah. Um, But Michael has been working on himself. I think at this point he no longer has to feed on uh, humans. Had a little work done on his hand. Yeah, a little hand job, shall we say. um... Oh, (laughs) jeez. Did you think of that one ahead of time? I just it just came across my mind. <laughs> Do you know what the original working title of the Kindred was? 
I haven't a clue. I don't remember if it was Carl or if it was in John Smith. Somebody came up with the name Rise of the Googlions. Rise of the Googlions? That's what, before they had the title. And I still, to this day, don't know what the kindred means. Well, I mean, the kindred, I've, I've always uh, assumed the kindred meant um, family and uh, people close to us who they mm. return. Kanan, the Athosians, Beckett specifically. That's how I've always viewed it. Mm. There's some interesting stuff, uh, obviously, with Taylor. Um, part one is basically focused on Taylor. Um, by this point, Taylor's very pregnant. And uh, this is the first time we've heard her talk about Kanan for, for most of the season, uh, the father of her child. Um, this is the first time that we meet him. We actually see him. And, of course, he's been turned into one of Michael's hybrids. Um, but she's able to get through to him. She's able to sort of, uh, uh, you know, talk to him when Michael's not around and get him to look at her and, and yeah. recognize her. And we learn by the end of it that basically it's Michael's proximity. When Michael is close, he has he has a psionic control over over his creations, which he uses at the very end of part two to prevent Beckett from shooting him. Oh, I did not Beckett remember is that. His creations. Oh, so when he's not and directly nearby, they are pliable and yeah. It seems like they sort of yeah they're they're pliable. They start to get some of their free will back, which which we will end up using uh, when we convince Kanan to help us escape in uh, the season five premiere. I think one of the things that, that makes the episode a little weak um, and also really uh, surprised me was that we don't get Taylor back. Um, they take off. They escape. Yeah. And you know, there is not a whole lot of payoff here other than the fact that we get Beckett back. That's true. And it's we don't really get Beckett back because the end of part two is into we, stasis. Can't, we can't solve the problem. We can't heal him. We have to stick him into stasis. Mm-hmm. So... Our friend is alive, but he's not really back. So, yeah, it kind of ends on a downer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it gets solved real quickly in Season 5, which just pissed me off. I thought that, I, I hoped that that would be like an arc, you know, play, play with it a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, you, you've, got, uh, you've got him going into stasis at the end, and um, it's, it's heartfelt. I mean, he's back, but he's not really back. I mean, it's kind of him. And my big issue with this one was it... it, it it spoiled the memory of the original Beckett, in my opinion, and it spoiled mm. how Kinda well Sunday. it cheapens Sunday. I for up until this Sunday was my favorite episode, period. Mm. I guess it kind of still is, uh, because it was so heartfelt, and it just I cried when Beckett uh, died, and now he's back again, and it's like, oh come on, guy. Now now I watch Sunday, and that emotional um, vibrancy is no longer there. It's mm-hmm. so flat because of, of what's bad. to come, and it really, really spoiled its sour. But I like the fact that they brought back Beckett because I wish they had never written him off. As as poignant and heartfelt and, and just gut-wrenching as Sunday is mm. as an hour of television, I, I wish they would not killed off that character mm. um, because he's 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 been called this before by, by fans. He's the heart of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he comes back. Uh, and part two is largely about Beckett. Yeah. It's about sort of reconciling who is this guy? Yeah. Can we can we can we save his life so that he's he's no longer dependent on Michael for these injections? It's one of the more um, slow episodes of Atlantis, period, because they, they depend a whole lot on on, uh, on dialogue with this and filling in those those gaps. Malazzi really went out of his way to, you know, give us an episode where we do explore those beats of him, you know, asking where Elizabeth is and what's happened to him and you know, this yeah. and that and and they, they talk about what happened with the original Beckett. They really go out on that. And I think Malazzi was expecting us to be really um, uh, 
uh, grateful for that. And and I to a large extent really was because we didn't get that a lot. Especially that line where he's he's you know he's 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 in isolation and he's kind of fed up and he says you know Rodney I want to see Elizabeth right now bring her in here. She's and, dead. And Rodney has to tell her you know what she's dead. Sorry. She was killed by the replicators. At which point Beckett needs to say who are the replicators. <laughs> this is this is uh, what most of season four has been leading up to. Yeah. Uh, with with Michael in the absence of the Athosians and the pregnancy. There's a lot of good stuff, but again, this is sort of my critique with Michael as a character, uh, was that he was menacing and he was um, he, very, very dangerous, but he was not dangerous on a scale that we ever really saw. I think he, he was, was a good enemy, but he was almost never there. He was a terrific enemy who was, who was not present. Yeah. Uh, we saw him once or twice a season, and when he was there, either he was human and in our control, like in Misbegotten, or uh, he was executing his plan, which is what he's doing in Kindred. He's, he's executing his master plan, but we don't really see him being bad. We don't really see him doing anything uh, evil or threatening or menacing. He's just looking at his, his, at his scanner, and he's... he's uh, giving an ultrasound to Taylor and he's telling her that he has big plans for her baby and uh, stops Beckett from shooting him and then he gets away. Mm. He's not really doing anything actively against our characters other than being threatening. Yeah. Uh, and then he's on the, on the grand galactic scale, he's responsible for, for using the Hoffman drug to poison the Wraith's food supply and basically, uh, you know, he's killing tens of thousands of humans. But that's on a grand galactic scale and it's nothing that we ever see on screen. It's just established in dialogue. So... Michael as a character is is fully present here, and he's a cool, cool villain for Atlantis. But uh, that's as much as we ever see of his of his villainness. The last man. This was an interesting episode from the word go. I when I first heard about this one, you know, um, Shepard is flung forty eight thousand years into the future, and Atlantis, believe it or not, still exists. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all in its pristine glory. They really, really made that city to last, I gotta say. Oh, yeah. I Takes mean, a lick and keeps on ticking. I think that this... Well, let me talk about what I like about this episode. We see what happens, you know, when Shepard is pulled out we, uh, of of the story, out of the timeline. We we see how important it is for him to get back. You know, it reminds me a lot of Reckoning from Legend of the Seeker, where uh, the Seeker, Richard Wall, goes into the future and uh, we see what happens when he's not around, how important yeah. it is for this character to get back to solve a lot of the, the issues. Um, the, and that's, I think, one of the, the cool things. A hologram of Rodney is, uh, is uh, telling him what he needs to do to get back. There's no food in the future. He's got a limited amount of time. That's it. Yeah. It's not just John Shepard, though. It's not just that Shepard needs to be there. It's the fact that Michael got his hands on Taylor's baby. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of the fact that Taylor was never rescued. Yeah. Yeah. And that she's the key. I think that this episode could have been really exceptional in a lot of ways. Um, it's just a matter of getting Shepard back. You know, he has no foes in the future. Uh, I think it would have been really cool if 48,000 years ago, Michael and his armies were still around and they had overwhelmed the Pegasus galaxy and Shepard, you know, coming into the the future, future. you and I have talked about this, Shepard coming into the future, sent off a signal that summoned Michael and his army to Atlantis and Shepard has to make his way through to the Stargate. Um, And they're just, they're just raining down terror upon him. And Uh, they show up. Yeah. Yeah, And, and we see that, you know, this is 
what will ultimately happen of Michael's plan. You know, he will take over and rule even 48,000 years from now. Uh, but we don't get that. And it's, it's fine the way it is. Um, I just think it could have been a lot better. I love the old Rodney stuff. Um, Rodney is an old man. And how he got there, um, you know, how he basically sacrificed the rest of his life trying to find a way to deliver this message to the future. And uh, using Atlantis's holographic technology in that way, I think it's really cool. But the, the future stuff with Shepard in the desert and, and talking to old Rodney is kind of just an envelope for for the flashbacks. So the last man is basically a giant what if, and the future stuff is just sort of the envelope sewing together those those different flashback storylines. So we mm-hmm. find out what happened to Sam. She went down in a blaze of glory, mm-hmm. uh, commanding her own ship. Uh, what happened to Ronan? He went down in a blaze of glory with Todd of all people. Mm-hmm. He built up an, an army to fight Michael, and you know ultimately lost. It's a cool show. I mean, I have, I have regrets about it, but it's a good one. My biggest critique, we've also talked about this, but my biggest critique is that the, the cliffhanger finale is not really oh, much of a cliffhanger. Um, so Shepard gets back to his own time, and uh, he, he comes with coordinates. He knows where, where Michael is holding Taylor. So he takes his team and Lauren's team into this old abandoned mm-hmm. building where Michael's been doing some research. And they, they trip one of Michael's booby traps yeah. and the building explodes and collapses in on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but never really. I guess it's part of just, just being an a experienced, cynical watcher of television. I, you know that your main characters are not being killed exactly. off in this I, moment. I think you know if they had added the hybrid element to, to Shepard trying to get to the Stargate and he got through... I think that that would have been, I mean, it would have been very similar to The Return Part 1, that cliffhanger. But if they had that to be continued right there and into the season, and then the teaser for the episode was them going into the building and the building collapsing on them, I think that would have been much more successful. Yeah, I would have liked the building collapses as the teaser for, for the season for 501. Premiere, for sure. Um, I, I almost, because so much of what the, what the future stuff is about is trying to get Shepard home. Uh, you know, preserving him long enough that we can find the right solar flare to to connect the wormhole to the past and send him through the gate uh, 48,000 years into the past. It, it feels like the success of that is the climax of the episode is, is almost downplayed with mm-hmm. Shepard returning to Atlantis. It's kind of not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have loved some sort of cliffhanger r- r- that's that revolves around, you know, Shepard diving into the wormhole and and you don't really know mm-hmm. for until the season premiere uh, what the result of that is if you got home. So that's season four, definitely one of my favorites. There are some high, high points in this year. Um, this Mortal Coil will be all my sins remembered midway. Um, the Kindred for, for all its flaws. Uh, and then just some really fun standalone episodes that I just love, like Doppelganger and Tabula Rasa. Um, I think season four is just, just a really strong foot forward. Ditto. Ditto. What's this week's listener question? This week's listener question, what did you think of this week's new episode of Stargate Universe? Space. We've been looking forward to this one. What say you? There's a new episode of Stargate Universe on? I know. I know. They are back. That's on Friday night if you live in uh, U.S. or Canada. It's on Sci-Fi Channel at 9 p.m. Eastern Pacific. Or if you live in Canada, tune into Space at 10 p.m. 
outside the U.S., it's going to be on uh, in a week's time on April 9th in Australia on Sci-Fi Channel there. I am super stoked about space. Um, podcast is running long, so we can't talk any more about it until next week. But I'm so psyched for this one. And then it's going to be divided on April 14th. And on April 21st, we'll talk about episode 13, which is called Faith. Very good. Looking forward to all of them. Good times with Atlantis. Gotta say, uh, some good, good episodes. That was a good show for for all the grief that that Atlantis fans might think that we give it sometimes. It's been a good history series, too. Uh, I've got some ideas for what we can do next. Yeah, good. Well, that's all of our show this week. If you want to leave us some feedback... Uh, and tell us what you think of space, you can call the hotline at area code 951-262-1647, long-distance rates apply, or you can email a recording to webmaster at gateworld.net. Try and keep it brief, somewhere around uh, 30 seconds to a minute and a half, two minutes. Please, please keep it brief. And if you live here in the UK with me, Sky One is not going to air it until Tuesday, April 13th. I, however... Somebody yeah. asked this question on, on uh, the discussion thread last week, and I should answer it uh, here as well as there. I, however, will be watching Space because uh, I am able to legally download it through iTunes. You can. For my $2.99 for my, uh, my HD copy okay. for my new HD TV. So I'll be able to talk about Space with you next week. Excellent. All right. And that's going to be on the podcast schedule for April the 7th. And then you can head over to the podcast feedback thread at GateWorld Forum. And if you want uh, links to anything that we talked about today, all those episodes, all those characters, head to GateWorld.net and look for the episode 83 show notes. Sounds good. From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you back here next week for more of the GateWorld podcast. Bye.